Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, after a lot of back and forth delays and negotiations, the House of Representatives passed President Joe Biden's massive infrastructure bill. It's going to create more jobs, good paying jobs, union jobs that can't be outsourced. And they're going to transform our transportation system with the most significant investments in passenger rail, the most significant investment in 50 years, in roads and bridges, the most significant investment in 70 years, and more investment in public transit than we've ever, ever made. Period. From transportation to high-speed Internet access, there's still quite a bit packed into the measure. Longtime Georgia Democratic Congressman Hank Johnson joins me to talk about the transit needs of South DeKalb County. Also, scholar, professor, and New York Times bestselling author Michael Eric Dyson returns to Closer Look, as he does so often. We'll talk about his, we'll talk about his latest book, Entertaining Race, Performing Blackness in America. Those conversations coming up, but first is news. The number of flu cases in the state remains low, as we all are about a month into flu season. Health officials have warned many people could be vulnerable to infection because of the lack of influenza spread last flu season. Sam Whitehead tells us why. Atlanta's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says seasonal influenza activity in the U.S. remains low, though it's ticking upward, according to the latest data. Only New Mexico and the District of Columbia saw moderate levels of disease transmission for the week ending October 30th. The U.S. didn't really experience a flu season last year. The COVID-19 pandemic had lots of people masking up and keeping distant, measures that also slow flu transmission. Public health officials say that's left many people with lower levels of immune protection, which raises the risk for a bad flu season this time around. Sam Whitehead, WABE News. In related news, the little ones, children's ages 5 to 11, can now get the COVID-19 vaccine. As we hear from Martha Dalton, who reports that an Emory physician says parents can rest assured the shot is safe. Dr. Xanthia Wiley says she understands why parents may have concerns, but says thousands of children participated in the vaccine trials and the shots are safe and effective. And if you have the choice of giving your child the vaccine or, you know, having to take the chance of your child contracting COVID, the outcomes from COVID itself are definitely worse than any side effect that they may have from the vaccine. Wiley is an associate professor of infectious diseases. She says although the likelihood of death from COVID is lower for children than for older adults, they could still suffer long-term effects like fatigue and shortness of breath if they get the virus. The new vaccine is a two-shot series given three weeks apart. Martha Dalton, WABE News. 
County election boards across Georgia are set to certify recent municipal results today. Still, many voters will need to come back to the polls right after Thanksgiving. Although a lot of local races in Metro Atlanta were decided last week, several are heading to November 30th runoffs. And Atlantans get the bulk of them. They need to pick a mayor between City Council President Felicia Moore and City Councilman Andre Dickens. Also a City Council President between City Councilwoman Natalyn Archbong and former Woodruff Arts Center CEO Doug Shipman. There are also six City Council seats and two school board seats that need to be decided. Now, besides certifying elections today, county elections boards will also set early voting dates for that November 30th runoff. And finally, we know the Braves are the world champs. The Falcons are hanging in there. It's still early in the NBA season for the Hawks, but Atlanta United, well, they're in the playoffs. Atlanta United will play New York City FC in New York in the first round. The Five Stripes finished fifth in the MLS East ranking after beating Cincinnati yesterday 2-1. to one. Now the entire playoff schedule has yet to be announced. Let's go, Atlanta United. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Oh, yes. Finally, after months of back and forth, delays and negotiations, the House of Representatives passed President Joe Biden's massive infrastructure bill. In a vote, 228 to 206, 13 Republicans joined 215 Democrats in favor of the $1.2 trillion measure. Now, this bipartisan bill calls for investments for roads, bridges, railways, a lot of, a lot of stuff. It's also expected to expand broadband, water, energy systems throughout the nation. The White House says the bill is the largest dedicated bridge investment since the construction of the interstate highway system in the 1950s. Congressman Hank Johnson, who represents Georgia's 4th Congressional District, joins me now. Talk about how this infrastructure bill, the Build Back Better Act, will improve public transportation in South DeKalb. Congressman Johnson, welcome back to the program. It's been some time. Well, thank you for having me, Rose, and good to be with you. Let's begin here. Um, Often we've all heard it's not about the destination but the journey. In this case, Congressman Johnson, the journey has been rocky. Um, and contentious. Your thoughts on this part of the president's Build Back and Better Act now that it's been passed? Well, uh, what we did on Friday was pass the bipartisan infrastructure deal Mm -hmm. that the president negotiated with uh, 12 Senate uh, leaders. And um, the House passed that bipartisan infrastructure deal in a bipartisan way in the House of Representatives on uh, Friday evening. So it's a $1.2 trillion uh, package Mm -hmm. that includes substantial funding for uh, 
delayed infrastructure needs of this nation, in infrastructure needs that have gone unaddressed for uh, generations. And this is a transformational uh, uh, bill that I'm proud that uh, I was a part of uh, helping get passed. We're going to dig into that a little bit more, but I want to get your thoughts on this because, as mentioned, 13 Republicans did vote for the measure, while six Democrats did not. What do you make of that, and what needs to happen through your lens if there's going to be a mending of of some of the differences here within your party? Well, those six Democrats who voted uh, no on the bipartisan infrastructure deal did so because they felt, uh, and justifiably so, Mm -hmm. that if we did not have the Build Back Better human infrastructure, soft infrastructure package passed before we passed the bipartisan infrastructure deal, then passage of that uh, bipartisan, uh, passage of the Build Back Better uh, human infrastructure bill would, uh, would be jeopardized. And, uh, and I share that uh, concern, but I trust my colleagues who have uh, committed on paper that they would, uh, there, there's about four, there was about five or six of them mm-hmm. who were holding up passage on the Build Back Better human infrastructure package. Uh, and they have now agreed that they will Uh, vote on the Build Back Better and support the Build Back Better infrastructure bill uh, the week of November the 15th. Mm -hmm. And so I I trust them. And uh, that's why I went ahead and cast my vote for the bipartisan infrastructure deal, which is a a great accomplishment by the Biden administration. Did you have some concerns then? You said that's why you went ahead and and did vote yes. Were you somehow conflicted that maybe you were weren't going to vote yes yeah the bipartisan infrastructure deal which we passed last friday mm-hmm. was actually agreed to by the uh senators and the white house uh back in either late august or early september mm-hmm. and so that bill once it passed the senate uh was conveyed to the house of representatives where it sat for a few months until we could get the kind of um, promise that we needed in order to assure us that the Build Back Better legislation would uh, come forward uh, and be passed by the uh, House and Senate. And so once we got that assurance, um, I, who was one of those who did not want to vote on the bipartisan infrastructure deal until we had voted on Build Back Better, Mm -hmm. I was willing to uh, cast aside my concern and go ahead and vote for uh, the bipartisan infrastructure deal. And uh, both both packages are a part of uh, President Obama's agenda, excuse me, President President Biden's Mm -hmm. agenda. he uh, he came into office with a plan to build back better with a American jobs plan and an American families plan. And so the American jobs plan is, is, is the bipartisan infrastructure deal. And the other part of uh, Joe Biden's uh, program 
uh, is the uh, American Families Plan mm -hmm. to help families, uh, to help women, children, the elderly be able to uh, live the kinds of lives and contribute to our economy that, uh, that they are capable of, uh, uh, of achieving. And so that uh, bill is just as important as the bipartisan infrastructure deal, mm -hmm. which we passed. And I'm glad that we're now in a position we're going to pass both of them. President Biden said this is historic in a sense. You call it this transformational. Let's set for our listeners. Uh, and just within moments ago, um, Congresswoman Nakima Williams in a statement uh, talking about that the state is already guaranteed to receive some $13.6 billion for numerous projects. Uh, let's start with your congressional district here. Listen, we could have a whole nother show about the history of transit and mobility and public projects as it relates to not just DeKalb County, but South DeKalb County. How do, elated are you that this bill will include some funding for those projects in, in South DeKalb? And we can, after that, we can talk about what you're most looking forward to. Well, there is a, a big, uh, well, actually several big pots of money that are coming online for um, uh, expenditures for transit in South DeKalb, as well as in other areas of uh, the state of Georgia and throughout the nation. We got, uh, I, was, uh, I was happy that uh, that bipartisan infrastructure deal is providing $15 billion in public transit capital investment grants that are uh, available uh, nationwide, uh, $550 billion in highway and transit construction project money, $72 billion in federal highway dollars. And all of those funds are available to uh, throughout this country to those jurisdictions that are in position to uh, to use that money. And certainly DeKalb County uh, is, and South DeKalb County has a pressing need for uh, uh, improved transit service. And indeed the citizens of South DeKalb have been expecting uh, an investment in heavy rail for mm -hmm. uh, quite some time that we have never been able to achieve. And so with the passage of uh, the bipartisan infrastructure deal. And, and on top of that, there is money in the bipartisan, excuse me, there's money in the Build Back Better Act, which we will uh, consider passing uh, during the week of November uh, 15th, that will provide additional public transit money. In fact, uh, Senator Ossoff and I mm -hmm. were um, successful in having included in the Build Back Better Act, $10 billion for public transit uh, that would be for connection to affordable housing. And we all know how gentrification has in Atlanta has led to uh, affordable housing options in Atlanta uh, being uh, few and far between, whereas in areas like South DeKalb, you can still get uh, affordable housing for people, for essential workers and people who really need uh, to use transit because uh, ownership of a car is so 
very uh, expensive when you talk about purchasing a car and then maintaining the sure. car and having insurance and and uh, gas and all of those that gets to be very expensive and so lots of people who are in affordable housing don't have the money for uh, vehicles and they depend on public transit and so heavy rail service in South DeKalb would be of great use to those uh, individuals. The voice you hear is longtime Democratic Georgia Congressman Hank Johnson, who represents Georgia's 4th Congressional District. And we're talking about President Biden's recently passed infrastructure bill. And Congressman Johnson, you know as well that when it comes to heavy rail, uh, as they say, it ain't it ain't cheap. It is expensive. And you would also Marta will obviously be a part of this conversation. How do, are you going to personally ensure that when it comes to funding all these projects here, that equity plays a big role in this as well. And you also have, I mean, you have to bring MARTA and probably all the regional transit systems together. Well, and and we have started to do that. We understand that um, there is a, uh, a, a, there are things that need to be done in order for South DeKalb's house to be in order Mm -hmm. for it to be able to draw down on the dollars that uh, will become available over the next five and 10 years for um, uh, construction and funding for uh, heavy rail throughout the country. And so uh, MARTA is currently developing uh, a list of locally preferred transit alternatives that uh, that transit in South DeKalb would have to be on in order for transit in South DeKalb to be eligible for those federal dollars. And as the, as MARTA develops that list of locally preferred transit alternatives, DeKalb County has to uh, amend its transit master plan to recognize heavy rail as its preferred option. And then uh, on top of that, the Atlanta Transit Link Authority, also known as ATL, mm-hmm. and the ARC, the Atlanta Regional Commission, would then have to be prevailed upon to include South DeKalb heavy rail projects in its regional transportation plan and then onto the transportation investment plan. And so these steps are, are going to be required in order for uh, DeKalb to. Uh, be in position to draw down the federal funds for uh, heavy rail in South DeKalb. So we have a long road ahead, but mm-hmm. it's certainly doable. And uh, I think things are, are in motion on the county level and also on uh, on the level of, of MARTA uh, to, um, to make this a reality. Well, then in, in regards to that, in making this a reality, how soon then do you need to bring everyone? Because as you write, heavy rail transit and soft to cab will only happen if the people in this virtual room choose to make it happen. That's when you were given a speech. So you've got to bring everyone together. How soon do you all need to come together? Because it takes a while for heavy rail as well, as you know that too, to be, first of all, there's the study. Then you've got to have the plan in terms of the actual line. And then it can take years for that to be developed. Yes, so the parties that need to be working on this are already aware of what needs to be done, and they are already working together 
to uh, put our house in order so that we can be in a position at some point in the in the future to um, uh, expand heavy rail into South DeKalb. So that's something that uh, many of the local and state elected officials uh, want to see happen who represent South DeKalb. And it's something that I want to see happen. I'm, I'm operating on the federal level. We're mm-hmm. the ones who actually would fund or in part, in large part, fund uh, the project. So we have that in place. Uh, both uh, Nakima Williams, who represents the uh, fifth district, which encompasses parts of South DeKalb, and myself, who represents the uh, other portion of South DeKalb, are fully committed to bringing heavy rail to South DeKalb. And and we see the fruition of that in the uh, $10 billion public transit uh, item that is in the Build Back Better um, bill when we pass that in uh, uh, later this month. So uh, the commitment is there Mm -hmm. on the federal, state, and local levels. And we just have to bring that uh, into uh, reality, but it's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Other than heavy rail, what are the other immediate needs you feel are necessary for South DeKalb County when it comes to transit and mobility? Well, definitely uh, the move towards uh, cleaner uh, buses, uh, moving away from um, from diesel, as MARTA has has done largely. Uh, going to uh, liquefied natural gas, which burns cleaner. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a society, we need to start weaning ourselves away from the internal combustion engine and relying more on uh, electric-driven uh, uh, or electric-powered uh, transportation. So the federal investment in uh, clean uh Um, electric buses uh, is included in the uh, uh, in the build back better and bipartisan infrastructure deals and so we can clean up our environment and then uh, uh, not to mention the construction of electric vehicle charging stations which 500,000 charging stations are funded in the build back better uh, legislation that will pass later this uh, this later this uh, month. But in addition to clean uh, environment, cleaning up our environment and reducing asthma and uh, respiratory uh, issues that seem to afflict uh, uh, people of color uh, disproportionately, we also need to increase the um, uh, service, uh, mm-hmm. the efficiency of the service. We need more service when it comes to uh, public transportation. It, it can take you an hour and 15 minutes uh, from South DeKalb going 15 miles to, to downtown um, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And it, it, can, uh, it can take you uh, an hour to walk from where you live to the uh, MARTA uh, transit stop. So we need to make transit more available and more efficient 
to the people that it serves. So we need to extend uh, the, the service. And, um, and that's very important uh, so that the people who don't have transportation, don't mm -hmm. have a, a personal vehicle, who need to get out and go to their essential job. We're talking about essential workers. We're talking about frontline sure. workers, people who could not stay home and do things virtually. They had to get out. Society needed them to get out and do the work so that the rest of us could stay home during the pandemic and be safe. So those people, those are the very people who rely on uh, transit to get to and from. And we needed we need to invest in our infrastructure so that we can get those people to and from work. And they also use it for uh, things like going to school mm -hmm. or, or going to community college to gain uh, new skills so that they can be uh, of greater, uh, uh, they can have a greater difference in the emergency, I mean, in the emerging economy, the information age, the green uh, age. Uh, these are new jobs that people need to get trained for. So a lot of these essential workers are catching public transit going mm -hmm. to school. And um, let me it, get your thoughts on this our economy that we don't leave anybody behind. Absolutely. Let me get your thoughts on this, Congressman Johnson, before I let you go, because we've, I want to shift for a second to another type of important connectivity. And so much is made and it should be rightfully so on the digital divide or the digital disconnect in terms of high speed connectivity in the rural community. But you and I also know that even in the urban landscape, it may not be it may not be about just connectivity. It's about access and ability to pay for connectivity. Are you hoping that also for communities in South DeKalb, which has some communities of, of low income households and some right on the poverty threshold, that there is that there will be more initiatives to provide Internet access, and we know this has been an issue as it relates to all the kids who were home during the pandemic, that they have connectivity. These households are connected maybe with some type of stipend or some type of subsidies for these households. Yeah, the uh, you're exactly right, Rose. And the bipartisan infrastructure deal has billions of dollars uh, in it for the extension of broadband to not just uh, rural areas that need it, of course, those rural areas are uh, definitely in need of uh, mm -hmm. broadband, but there are a lot of places in urban areas that tend to uh, be where uh, people of color live that have been uh, excluded from broadband implementation uh, throughout the country. And so, uh, you know, the businesses that are extending uh, that that are offering broadband uh, service are not always the ones who profit, who want to invest in uh, what we would say would be the last mile of connectivity. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not always willing to invest uh, in that last mile uh, uh, that is needed. And that's where government comes in, and that's where the build, uh, the bipartisan infrastructure deal comes in to provide for some public funding to extend uh, broadband into areas that have been left out. And we just simply can't afford to leave people behind, leave communities behind. And that's why this, uh, the uh, American Jobs Plan sure. and the American 
family plan, the Biden initiatives that got him elected to office, which are represented in the bipartisan infrastructure sure. bill and the Build Back Better bill. That's why it's important we pass both of those. And I got you. One. I got you, Congressman. Got I got to let you other. go because I'm up on time. But I, I know where you're going. I got you. We all, all feel right. you. Congressman Hank Johnson represents Georgia's 4th Congressional District. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That's a beat for my next guest because he actually has some pretty good control of the mic. This is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. I say much like a hip-hop pioneer. Scholar, professor, culture critic, New York Times bestselling author, and apparently told the late Prince, man, I can dance, don't get it twisted. Michael Eric Dyson is currently a professor of African-American and Dispart. Diaspora Studies, along with other titles at Vanderbilt University. His latest is Entertaining Race, Performing Blackness in America. I'm joined now by the OG, Professor Michael Eric Dyson. Welcome back, brother. Hey, it's great to be here, Sister Rose. Always, <laughs> when I'm on your show, I'm on the real show. So I'm glad to be here. Let's begin here. If you were going to have a hype person on stage, who would it be? <laughs> <laughs> Who's your hype woman or hype man? Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. You know, somebody from my family probably <laughs> up there said, and the next. <laughs> and and younger people I've been able to uh, to to bring along in this game uh, who have been uh, benefited, hopefully, by uh, my love and support for them. I got so many young people, uh, James Braxton Peterson, Mark Lamont Hill, Salamisha Tillett, my agent, Tanya McKinnon. Shoot, you know, I get them out. But I don't I, I think Sister Rose might be up in the spotlight. Like, Let me tell you something. I would be a great hype person. You don't know. But if I had a beat, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> listen, before we get into entertaining race, I remember the last time we spoke almost a year to date. And we were talking about where this would where this nation would be now. I'm going to play something. Here's what you said back in December of 2020. We're living through a syndemic. And the converged pandemic of race and the converged pandemic of virus often have the same cry after the viral pandemic leaves the lungs spongy with people proclaiming I can't breathe hmm. and police batons knees or guns beating shooting and rendering black flesh mute with them claiming I can't breathe both claiming I can't breathe both because of a pandemic of race and a pandemic of the virus come to the same conclusion. Hmm. Professor, a year later, as it relates to racial justice and public health justice, your thoughts on this year, 2021? Well, here we are still in the midst of a, um, of a syndemic that continues to unfold. Uh, 750,000 and more lives have been taken by the virus. Uh, we've now seen a, a, a kind of white lash, backlash against, uh, you know, reckoning with race. That's why critical race theory is here. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the controversy about it. <clears throat> and so we see that America will never, you know, silently go, <laughs> go uh, silently into that night. It will rage against the dying of the light. Uh, and in this case, it feels that its own proprietary interests in American democracy narrowly defined 
uh, is the way uh, to go. And so, you know, beating back on uh, critical race theory, acting like it's being taught in schools, having an excuse not to uh, talk about black history in these schools. I mean, this is the incredible uh, duplicity of claiming to be for the American dream and undermining it at the same time. So while we, we pledge to reckon with race, we got to reckon with the backlash against it, the resistance to it, and the wholesale repudiation of the principles of racial justice uh, that might put us in a better position. And let me get your thoughts on this, because what we've witnessed coming out of last year was this, and depending on whom you ask, you'll get a different answer, this racial and, and equity justice movement corporations, universities, sports leagues, uh -huh. all of a sudden there's this societal shift in pledging to be part of the solution as opposed to continuing a systemic practice where racism and other isms have been prevalent. What do you make of that movement that everybody all of a sudden now, and I say everybody because my grandfather would say that, everybody now want to do better? Right. Well, thank God everybody want to do better. We, 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 we all for everybody doing better, especially after, you know, four years of the Trump administration we see what happens when people don't want to do better, when they don't care, when they don't give a flying flip about racial justice or considerations of, <clears throat> you know, uh, making things better and advocating for the truth. Uh, there's no question that, um, you know, in this instance, um, you know, we have to continue to uplift uh, the bloodstained banner of truth, ride it high, hold it high, uh, make sure that people see that we are serious about it. Yeah. It's one thing to put a, a black square on Instagram. It's another thing to step up uh, in a major fashion to support racial justice. It's one thing to say and claim that uh, we are about business and doing serious things. Uh, and another thing to look at your budget. And what are you doing in corporate America? And who's mm -hmm. in the room? Who made the decision to put that commercial out there? How did Kylie Jenner get on that commercial yet again? How did we make a Coke commercial like that? What did we do with the Benetton ad, right? Who's in the room? Who's in the room uh, to hear about the microaggressions that people of color, especially black people endure, black women endure because of hairstyles or you know, choosing to do what they do. So all of that has to be taken seriously. So if we're gonna do better, everybody wanna do better, we gotta do better which means we got to think more seriously, more strategically, more systemically. And we got to have white people standing up against the people who are white, who stand up against racial justice or who question it in ways, questioning it is not a problem, but, but, but erode it and are cynical about it in a way that bespeaks their own complicity in the very structure of white supremacy we're trying to resist. Let's talk about this latest offering from you, Entertaining Race. You take the reader through some distinct inter intersections as it relates to race. Uh, but I, right. as reading this, and first of all, this book is long, but I read it, got it right here. Um, <laughs> I t as a reader, I was like, okay, you know what? I think, Professor Dyson, this has been in the works from t for some time, has it? This is a collection yeah. of of you. This is like, you know how Jay-Z had the blueprint? This right, is kind of right, your blueprint. Right. Oh, bless you for that, my sister. Yeah, it's been a long time in the making. That marketing plan was me. Okay, I had to go back to the blueprint of the day. Uh, so, yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, there's some essays in here from almost 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there's some stuff that's right recent. Right recent, as the people would say. So the thing is, is that I'm trying to give coverage for a whole range of thought, of evolution, of thinking, uh, as I have grappled with this stuff. When I started out, got a PhD. Two years later, I was on the cover of, uh, you know, New Yorker magazine with Cornell West and 
and uh, Bell Hooks and Derek Bell. Mm-hmm. Now I'm now I'm on the bestseller list with Tanahasi Coates and Clint Smith. I'm trying. Look, I'm a long distance runner. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to LeBron James the game. I'm trying to Tom Brady the game. I'm still trying to win chips, even though I'm old. So my point is that uh, I've been out here for a minute thinking and wrestling with these issues. They're new to you. That's great. Uh, you know, I've been dealing with them for a while. We're going to continue to deal with them. We're going to continue to see new faces and new takes on these issues. And uh, I just want to be a participant in it to show that I've been out here for a minute and I will continue as long as breath is in my body and the Lord lets me live uh, to do what I do. I want to talk about the chapter regarding your fellow Detroit native, Queen of Soul, the late Aretha Franklin. First, mm-hmm. more than a longtime reader of your work, you all were friends. You spoke at her funeral. In the book, you write, quote, there would be no Shaka Khan, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey or Beyonce right. without Aretha. As much as her love for her people shines through and all she did, her love and advocacy for black women was even more striking and arguably more necessary. Close quote. Professor, take it further. Yes, ma'am. I mean, Aretha Franklin is the voice. This is there's no um, there's no uh, mystery as to why the Rolling Stone magazine named her. Uh, the greatest voice ever, the number one singer ever, with the greatest song ever, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. Now, we know she didn't write that. We know that um, Otis Redding wrote that, yeah. but Otis Redding heard that song, and he said, she's supposed to be my friend. She's my friend, man, but that girl <laughs> done took my song. He knew it, and Otis did a cold version of it. Yeah. But you ain't doing what that song, what Aretha did with that song, because she transmuted it in a, in a, in a very positive way. into a feminist credo as well as a racially prideful, you know, theme. And to do that simultaneously, give me my respect when I get home. That's to to the man. Don't act like you don't know who's bringing in this dough, son. And at the same time, respect our race, our struggle, who we are as a people. To have a feminist and anti-racist song and a prideful Black song that's also prideful of being a woman. And then to be able to put it across the way she did uh, is extraordinary. So ain't nobody else with, with you know, who's a female singer and, and quite as is kept male singer too, without having the imprint and the influence of the great Aretha Franklin. This performing blackness in America under a much bigger entertaining race and for the listener who may not quite understand why you're making the connection with all these creatives, and I'm going to give you a chance to talk about it because you mentioned another creative genius who happens to be one of my personal favorites, and that is the the remarkable August Wilson. And you write, August, August Wilson's grand vision is arguably the most sophisticated expression of the black arts movement's hunger to meld politics and art to marry the pen and the sword, at least through the protests, placard, close quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, August Wilson is one of the greats of all time, a Shakespearean writer, you know, uh, Eugene O'Neill, Arthur Miller. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, August Wilson. These are the titans of American theater. Tennessee Williams, Uh, people with the capacity and the ability uh, to illuminate the context of our struggle and everyday lives with haunting poetry. This is Chekhov, Mm -hmm. you know, at his best. And so, uh, you know, Mr. Wilson was an incredibly prolific and engaged uh, author, playwright, who sought to illuminate uh, for Black life 
the, the decades of the 20th century, every decade in the 20th century. That is remarkable. That is amazing uh, that he did so. And he did so with poignancy and insight and, and pitiless uh, inventory of black rituals of survival and black struggles uh, for sustenance and the attempt to remain human amidst the dehumanizing impulses of a dominantly supremacist and racist culture. So uh, celebrating uh, that work was, was a true pleasure and what a remarkable life he lived. In terms of celebrating these great works, do you have some concerns with our younger generations, those behind us, that they are not being exposed enough to these great geniuses? We got some young geniuses now they all love, and that's fine. But we got a whole centuries and centuries of folks, black folks, that some of our, our folks don't know about. Yeah, you got to look back to move forward. and You got to re- recognize them. And it's true. Now, all old people say that. You ain't old, but I'm old. We always say, <laughs> you don't study the real one, boy. You missing out on the, on the greats. Uh, some of these young people have a real nose for who the greats are. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they respond to that. But, you know, we've got to understand that it is true um, that, you know, we have extraordinary genius that people have overlooked, uh, been underappreciated, can't even understand the range of what they do. And think about it, even people we celebrate like Little Richard didn't really get his whole due, right? Mm -hmm. Because of his, you know, his inventiveness or a Chuck Berry is the greatest songwriter, arguably, in rock and roll. you know, Little Richard, one of the founders of the art form, uh, just to name one art form and two figures. And don't forget the sisters, because I'm named after one, Sister Rosetta Tharp. I mean, come oh, on. I was about to say, with, that, with, that, with that guitar <laughs> and that gospel being taken to a broader arena. Um, I mean, all of those pioneers, and there's so many of them, because Black genius is dense and deep and has depth and is profound. And so... There's no question that without sounding like an old school dude, like you young people don't study enough, God darn it, we got to get into the archives, dust them off and see (laughs) the extraordinary genius we possess in our own race. Earlier today, I tweeted you were going to be a guest on the program and brother Uh Joffrey replied, quote, it can't get any better. I've been hooked on Dr. Dyson since I was about 13 and heard him preach at First Baptist Church in Hampton, Virginia. Around 1993, 1994, he still reaches wow. the youth to this day. R.I.P. Reverend Booth. When you hear something like that, what's your reaction to that type of reflection about you? Well, it's so so gracious. I'm so honored, you know, to do what I do, to have the privilege and the blessing to be able to say and speak as I want. Uh, yes, R.I.P. Reverend Booth at First Baptist in Hampton. That was my mentor. Yeah. Uh, one of my mentors in the clergy, along with my pastor who were licensed and ordained me, the late Dr. Frederick George Sampson, now the late Dr. Reverend William Douglas Booth. Uh, amazing men of God, uh, of the cloth. And one of my vocations is preaching. And I got a couple sermons in this book mm-hmm. just to remind people. I know sometimes my uh, y'all be forgetting I'm a preacher out here uh, <laughs> until I start rolling. <laughs> with the cadences, but uh, I'm an ordained Baptist minister, and it certainly uh, is significant and central to my identity uh, as a Black man, as a Black figure, as a public intellectual. And it's always uh, humbling and deeply, um, you know, honoring 
uh, for me to be recalled uh, and to be seen in those lights. And I'm grateful uh, to those kinds of assessments of who I am. Entertaining race, performing blackness in America. It's the latest from Professor Michael Eric Dyson. Next time, let's kick this in person. Thank you so much, as always. Always the best hype woman in the world. All right. Thank you. You got it. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. If you missed any of today's show, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm the hype woman. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.